Hello and welcome to this week's 1201 podcast. My name is Callum Watt and I am not here as ever with Callum Roper. Hello there everyone. And Bradley Orsop. Epics. So America is in flames. Uh, the uh, the world is uh, a very different place from just a couple of weeks ago. Minneapolis Police Department, where the uh, uh, where the unfortunate victim of police brutality, George Floyd, was murdered, allegedly by a police officer who knelt on his neck for uh, eight minutes, uh, long after he had stopped moving. Uh, that police force is set to be abolished uh, and replaced with something else um obviously the there is a huge question about racism now this has arisen in the uh, anglophone world um and of course something to say very much uh, up front of course is that um we are three white guys uh and so i think uh we've uh, thought about it haven't we bradley what our um about how we're going to talk about uh, these tricky issues this week. Yeah, so um, I, think, I think the good reaction to, to a lot of these issues amongst white people, um, and, it, and it was exactly my good reaction, was, um, well, well, we need to get a black person on the show. Um, and, that, and that's often how these things are dealt with. Um, but we did a little bit of research. We spoke to some people um, that, that are quite involved in, the, in these areas. Um, and we came to the decision that in... Instead of requiring someone from that community to come on and and take on the emotional labour of it, basically explaining to white people what racism is and and what's been going on in the US and how that that is linked to racism, um, instead of requiring someone in that community to do that, we thought actually we're going to have a very honest conversation as free white men about what white people need to do in response to this. Um, that. There's a lot of stuff that I've seen on social media going around at the moment that, that say it's no longer well, it's, it never has been really, um, but it but it's more obvious than ever that it that it's not enough to just be against racism. We now need to be actively um, and proactively against it. And I think as we'll talk about throughout this, I think that means as white people having these conversations um, and not just leaving it up to those people that directly face the persecution to have to have these conversations, um, but actually. Um, white people in white spaces and in white culture need to have those conversations as well. Um, so hopefully we, we can do a little bit of that today on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so the, uh, so the really interesting thing, as I, as I just mentioned, is that we've kind of, we've all kind of grown up with this concept that um, the police are there to protect us. Um, or at least, as we say, white folks have grown up with this idea that the police are there to protect us. Um, if you're white and working class, maybe not so much. Um, there's now an opportunity uh, potentially to think about different ways um, of organising public order. Um Something to bear in mind, of course, is that the the police, as we kind of tend to think about them, this uniformed state-sanctioned force, uh, which is responsible for maintaining law and order, um, is actually less than 200 years old. 
Um, if you want to obviously read more about that, you can read The End of Policing by Alex Vitale, uh, which I think is in the post to me at the moment. Um, and... I got that last week. Sorry? I got that on ebook um, last week. I've, I've arrived in the modern age and I'm reading ebooks. Mm. Oh, right. Yes. No, no. The, um, the, and the point of it is that, you know, basically the, the police emerged out of colonial practices, you know, was actually, um, created, uh, to control the Irish population, um, during the English occupation there. Um, and the idea was exported out to, uh, the colonies. Um, and it was used in ways that I am not an expert on in America as well uh, to uh, enforce, effectively enforce segregation there. And in this country, in England, um, obviously around the same time in the mid-19th century, you've got this growing industrial working class, all of those peasants who have moved in from um, from uh, the, the from the rural areas because of mechanization of farmland they've moved into the cities manchester london liverpool uh, and so on uh, and they're all now crammed together uh, there is such a thing as employment uh, and unemployment that uh, it's invented so if you are out of work you will starve there's no longer a parish to support you um, and there's a growing fear and of course we see what happens in um, 1815 when people start to get organised and form proto-trade unions. Um, and of course, uh, what we end up with is uh, a massacre in the, at, the, at the Peterloo Massacre uh, and an authoritarian regime that follows that. And this new police force is recruited out of the working class. So it's no longer just these, you know, the uh, a middle-class watch, if you like, uh, which is imposing itself on others. This is, these are your mates, you know, these are people you grew up with that are recruited to basically infiltrate um, working-class neighbourhoods um, and keep an eye on us, basically. And that's the, that's the primary purpose of the police. Um, so now we have uh, the potential for alternatives, um, how do we how do we see it playing out, uh, Bradley? Uh, have you had any now? Have you have you dipped into that ebook yet? Uh, have you got your own thoughts about uh, how how things could uh, how old, how we could be policed differently? Yeah, so I th- I think I've I've said it on this podcast before, um, and uh, I was I was wrong actually. Um, I suppose that's not something you hear in politics very much, um, but I. I've always been a little bit sceptical of the left, scepticism of the police, actually. Um, and I, and I, I've probably expressed the view probably only a few weeks ago um, on this podcast about how, the, for me, the issue always has, it's not been the police, it's been the state behind the police. Um, and that, you know, I've always just viewed the, the police as sort of a tool to, to enact what the state's wishes are. So if you, if you have a, a capitalist system, um, then the state will make the police a, a force of capital. And so my argument has always been the problem isn't the police, it's it's the system behind them. Um, and in a, in a proper socialist society, the police will be serving proper socialist ends, so so there won't be an issue. Um, that was wrong, actually, um, to some degree, uh, in that I think there will always be a need for, a need for something that is a bit like a police force, 
um, even in a in a socialist utopia. But what we don't need um, is the amount of spending um, and and the militarization of the police force that you absolutely have in the US. Um, and it, it, you know, I'm sure we've all seen the videos these past couple of weeks of, of um, the equipment um, and the tactics of the police in the US are just it's mind boggling what they do and, and and how they conduct themselves there. Um, we we have those issues in the UK as well. I, I don't I don't think it's quite the same issue in the UK as it is in the US. There, there are definitely problems in the UK, and we can get onto those. But the the US seems to have a very very special way it treats its police, which, which I find baffling. Um, but but the issue there is the amount of spending that is on the police. So actually, this this idea that, that's going around now is 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 of defunding the police actually and and that the money we spend on the police should be spent on other um, avenues that could be just as effective and more effective um, at cutting crime um, I think a classic example in the UK is the funding for youth centres that's been cut by austerity since 2010 um, if you provide safe spaces for young people to be able to go to to be able to learn to socialise and to interact with other people that can be a much more useful preventative measure um, than excessive spending on bloody water cannons like Boris Johnson wanted to do. Um, so so th- there's that side of things that I think we actually now need to, to start having a real push fr- through the party political system as well um, of, of defunding the police and using those resources um, on community projects, youth centres, um, mental health charities, all, all, all those sorts of things which can actually prevent crime um, rather than having to deal with the consequences of it um, and actually just make people's lives better anyway. I think the, uh, the, the, there are situations where you do need some form of legitimate authority. That, I mean, because I used, when I worked in the nightclub industry, for example, 99% of the time, if there's some kind of altercation, you know, in the club or bar, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the venue's own security team can probably deal with it. Um, but sometimes it goes out of their hands if it becomes a mass brawl or something like that. Or indeed, if someone has, has, has committed a crime, obviously sexual assault's a fairly common one, uh, sadly, uh, in, in, in those sorts of settings, um, then you do need someone to uh, track them down and, and in some cases apprehend people. But it's not... Uh, I think that the question really is the scale at which we focus uh, so much responsibility on the police. I think someone said that I read somewhere that the the budget for the New York Police Department was something like five billion pounds or five billion dollars rather, which is enormous. It's huge. I mean, that's that's like the the budget of small country, um, in in its entirety. Um, what do you think about this, Callum? I think Bradley talking about reallocating funding is is so important. Now, policing itself, I think you need to move away from this militancy and more towards the sense of community. So another thing that the Tories cut was community policing. And I think where the police do their best is where they're embedded in a community, not as as a sense of espionage or a sense of spying, but because it makes people feel safe. The police is therefore not this this power of the state, not this tool of the state to beat people when they're uh, when they're peacefully protesting, or it shouldn't, by all means, be a be a tool for racist oppression of people. 
But what it could do if we reallocate funding, firstly towards community policing, is see that we can trust the police. And this shouldn't just be some sort of um, project for them just to repaint themselves but carry on the same practices. I think they need a fundamental change on how they police. It should be about serving the community. You shouldn't be separate as a police officer. You should be under the law just like everybody else. And then the rest of the money. I mean, the US example is always the best example and the amount they spend on policing. We need to be looking at social services. We need to be putting the money into education. We've got to remember that in the US, the way they fund their schools is largely based on the area that they're in. So if a deprived area is constantly in this cycle of, of poverty, of deprivation, then it's going to stay in that. People aren't going to break free from that. So they've got to change their formulas. They can invest this money in education, invest this money in children's future. And as we know, in the US, most of the, the deprived areas happen to be African-American areas, happen to be areas where ethnic minorities live. So it's not just a, a case of defunding the police and that's it, as some right-wing commentators like to portray it. It's a fundamental shifting of our priorities as a society, certainly in the West. We should be moving away from a reliance on the police and solving the core issues that are affecting people, the core issues that lead to crime, that lead to people getting into gangs. I think that... Sorry, Sorry, go go Bradley, go. And of course, the the problem and the reason we have this is because of neoliberal politics. Um, When you think the individual is the sole person that bears responsibility, that we're all purely responsible for ourselves and our own conduct and, 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 and our own life situation and, and no one else has any responsibility, the state doesn't have any responsibility for us, then policing is quite a natural reaction to that, actually. If, if that's what your ideology is as, as an individual, then, of course, if anyone ever commits any crime, then the only, the only solution to that is that, well, that, that person is just a bad egg and we're going to have to crack down on them. We're going to have to shove them in a prison or or, or beat them at a protest. You know that. So policing and, and an over reliance on policing stems from a capitalist and ultimately a neoliberal ideology. Um, whereas if you take a more of a socialist approach, you know, well, well actually, the causes of crime are quite complex. Um, they happen in the community. They happen because of lack of healthcare and lack of stable employment and mental health. You know, there's so many issues that that contribute to crime and crime statistics. Um, and when you take a holistic approach, purely putting all your eggs in one basket in, in terms of policing, doesn't make any sense from a policy, policy perspective either. No. I, thought the, the, um, I don't know if he's written any books. I'm just trying to find, trying to see if there's one that I can plug. Um, but um, I, I remember my, um, my lecturer in, in law, order and politics at um, at university, who was um, a very Irish and very Marxist, uh, a, a wonderful cultural mix um, uh, that made his lecture that made his lectures very entertaining. Um, but uh, he said that uh, quite simply, and that this is probably one of the most um, down to earth things he said: if someone's got a roof over their head, a nice job to go to, and a family, why on earth would they commit crime? generally speaking, you know, uh, if all of those things are secure, whereas if someone is um, homeless or at threat of of losing their home, um, if they're in no employment or insecure employment, 
um, and they don't have a stake in their community and, and that, that sort of thing, they are fundamentally much higher uh, chance of, of committing crime. So if you want to cut down on crime, give people homes, give people jobs, get, you know, it's, it's basic. It's what you can almost reduce it down to mathematics in a way, you know, you give people these things, you give people job security, you give people um, shelter and, uh, and so on, then then they've got no incentive to commit, uh, they've got no incentive to commit crime, or if they want to, it's not part of human nature, generally speaking, to be malicious, um, and and so they they um, most people won't do it. Will society ever be perfect, and you won't have malicious people who are going to uh, uh, commit assault and? Uh, and all uh, and rape and 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 steal things. Yeah, you know, of course, that sort of thing is probably still going to happen, but you can reduce it to the minimum by removing the uh, imperatives for people to do those things, um, and to educate people as well. Um, that I think is the is the way to go. So I think the um, the world's definitely going to be watching Minneapolis. Uh, over, I, I think I know. I think this is just the beginning of a conversation, right? You know, this is probably going to take years to develop, um, and probably maybe even longer to to implement here. But um, what do we think? That maybe that's the uh, the next thing we can really talk about. What is the best way to keep the momentum going behind this? Uh, this growing movement, um, Bradley. I, I suppose it, it comes back to what we we said in the intro. Really, um, it, this time feels a little bit different. Um, you know, it, it's not uncommon to to hear news stories and, and hear protests in America, um, because yet again, um, a black man has been killed by the police. Um, you know, it, it, it's not an unusual thing to hear, but this time it feels different. Um, and I'm I'm not quite sure what that is. I don't know if this, those communities have just reached a breaking point. Um, but you you know we've seen statues being um, taken off their plinths in in Bristol, you know, across an ocean away. Um, it it feels a bit different this time. It feels like people are, are paying more attention. Um, but then on the flip side, there is actually a lot of people fighting back against it. Um, so I, I've seen some of the things, and I'm sure you've both seen it as well on Facebook and, and social media, that what, white people have a real issue with trying to understand racism and, and, and accepting. I, I think, it, again, I think it, it partly comes back to this, this neoliberal worldview of everything we have, um, everything we've got in our lives, we've got because of our own hard graft and our own hard work. Um, so if someone comes along and says, actually, at least a chunk of that might be partly because of privilege, um, whether it be privilege as a, as a white person, as a man, as a straight person. I think we're, we're almost fine-tuned to react against that now um, in society. I think people have always probably reacted against that, but I, I think it, it's probably worse now in that, yeah, we, we're like, well, no, I reject any suggestion that anything I have in my life um, is, is partly because of any sort of privilege. It's all my own hard graft and my own hard work. Um, but so, so, so there's, there's a chunk of, of the white population that, that really, really seem to struggle with this concept. Um, and I think the problem is, is far too long, 
um, the people most affected by racism have had to have those conversations and have had to take on that emotional labour themselves. Um, and actually, it's time for other white people to start taking up that burden a bit as well. And actually, having those difficult conversations with other white people and actually, frankly, calling out their bullshit at times. Um, and sometimes that's even friends. You know, it, it's not even necessarily the fifty-year-old gammon on Facebook. And um, sometimes it can be a friend that says something or does something. Um, and it, and it it's about being willing to take on because because it can be exhausting i posted this on facebook the other day i, I said i'm exhausted of having to explain to people why they should care about other people um, and it, it is exhausting um but you know what black people have had to do this their whole lives so so maybe it's time that more of us took up that burden i think yeah i suppose i'll I touch on how we go forward in a sec but I'd just like to echo Bradley's comments. The the absolute cesspit that is social media at the moment is is worrying. It really is. I mean, we're we're aware of of the credentials of of areas like Lincoln sometimes when it comes to matters of racism. Uh, being a, a city, I believe it's above ninety five percent white. It's it's a very whitewashed city. It doesn't experience that much racism in terms of what you would see in the states but that's because people are people aren't from ethnic minorities really they just don't experience it so i think a lot of it is coming from a point of ignorance and bradley's right that we should be challenging it and i completely agree that it's it's tiring it really is tiring to be effectively looking at i'm just talking about people that i've got on facebook or i see pop up on twitter they're, you know, putting out some absolute bullshit. Let's just put it simple. It's rubbish. It's absolute bullshit. And you can't just keep arguing with them. So what do we do? I suppose really going forward, we have to continue in the movement. We have to continue to put out those stories from people, their experiences of racism, not just in the U.S., but also in this country as well, where it's very present in many areas of the country. And I think it's a case of we've we've got to we've got to have that honest conversation with ourselves. And people have got to understand, firstly, history does matter. We can't just disregard it as because it's in the past, it's not important, it doesn't impact us now. I'll let you know it does impact us now. It really does. The the reason why this country is in the position it is is on that historical foundation that was built by slaves, it was built by imperialism, and it was built by exploiting minorities around the world. That's the truth. You can't argue against that. People have got to start facing up to the facts. People have got to start realising that there is systemic racism. And if we've got to start looking at ourselves a lot closer than people currently are. Hmm. I think we... I think Owen Jones made an excellent point the other day because he said that, you know, um, you know, hating Britain really is celebrating all of the bad bits about it, you know, empire, racism, oppression, and so on. Um, we have a very rich culture of of activism and actually people who have made the world better in this country. Um, and we should be celebrating those, the you know, people like the Toll Puddle Martyrs, for example. 
um, people who have campaigned for LGBT rights. If you want to talk about individuals, you could talk about you know Tim Berners Lee and people like that. But the you know th- these are things these are things to be celebrate. We shouldn't be celebrating people like uh, Edward Colston, you know, uh, because what do they really contribute to the world except for uh, misery? And that that is that really the project the way we want to project our own country? No, absolutely not. How is that in any way uh, patriotic? Um, if you if you want to use that word, you know, why, why should we be proud of that? I'm not proud of that. You know, we should remember that. Yeah, we were the first country in the world to industrialize, and this country arguably created modern capitalism for better or worse. But what we definitely know for better is that we were also the first country where trade unions emerged, for example, where we had a working class that started to organise itself. Um, and that's that's what I think we should be uh, proud of. And uh, I do, I agree with uh, Bradley. I do think that um, this moment does feel different. Um, uh, just returning to the police a little bit, um, Alex Vitale on... Um, on the viral media, uh, basically said that, um, you know, for years there have been attempts to reform the police and they haven't worked and people can see that. So now that that, then the natural next step, I suppose, for people is just, okay, well, let's scrap it and start again. And I think that makes, and I think that makes uh, complete sense. I think that makes complete sense. Um, in terms of um, keeping up uh, momentum, which is the question I posed, I think it's difficult to say that um, we need to go beyond social media since that's mostly our only option at the moment because um, we we can't we can't campaign normally. Um, but obviously, as we saw in Bristol, people can take uh, take matters into their own hands. Uh, I think in the case of the uh, that particular uh, the particular statue, uh, Edward Colson, I think he was responsible for uh, eighty four thousand people being transported in his life uh, from uh, from Africa to the colonies and elsewhere. Um, a vile human being that he uh, and actually this this sort of um, but. I, I wouldn't be surprised if some neoliberals admire him in a way because, of course, his way of cleansing his soul was to give some of that wealth to charity, um, which is uh, and to style himself as a, as a philanthropist, which is uh, which is often something that very rich people do to justify uh, their their being wealthy. Um, and um, for years, there's actually been a debate in Bristol about whether or not this statue should be taken down or whether it should have a plaque on the base. And I, I, maybe as a politician, I kind of sympathise with the politicians uh, in Bristol to some extent. It was technically grade two listed. Um, so you, you, it, it's difficult um, to just dismantle something that has that sort of protection. So they were talking about putting a uh, a plaque on its base, but in the end, natural justice prevailed. And I think, frankly, I think what what happened is absolutely right. I think um, I think Marvin Rees, who's the mayor of Bristol, 
really stunning guy. I think he'd make a great leader of the Labour Party, incidentally, one day, and you can you can quote me on that if it happens. Um, he said, he said, uh, you know, he said, look, I basically I'm the mayor of Bristol. I can't condone an act of vandalism because technically it is a crime, you know. Uh, I can't condone a, I can't condone a, an act of vandalism, but basically it was the right thing to do. People, you know, I can't. Um, I think what he actually said is, I can't condone an act of uh, a, 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 an act of vandalism, but I can't pretend that as a black person whose ancestors were enslaved, um, I wasn't offended by the presence of that statue in in my city. Um, and by the way, we're going to fish it out and put it in a museum. And I think that's perfectly fine. Actually, one of my first thoughts after it went in that, down in that very satisfying splash was, well, there's going to be some poor harbour master who's thinking, oh, I've got to change all my charts now. Um, <laughs> that uh, should be the least of our worries, really. What was your uh, reaction to that, Callum, when you saw that, uh, the statue? Go I, I, I think it was a brilliant moment. I think that was a real symbol of the Black Lives Matter movement in the UK as it currently stands. Now, I know it's been twisted by by many in the media. It's, you know, been condemned by a lot of politicians, but I think it was the right thing to do. Yes, it was against the law, but as you said, people had tried beforehand to get that statue removed. People had signed petitions. I think... One of the local MPs had got involved. Numerous councillors had got involved, but it just wasn't being moved. And I think um, uh, going back to the mayor um, of of Bristol, I I, I read those quotes and he said um, the reason why when asked why he didn't campaign to get it removed so vigorously as mayor, he said he has better priorities. He has to get people in houses. He has to deal with poverty. He has to deal with deprivation. And he has to get people a good education and fight for that. So I think he is, is is an amazing guy, really, just listening to his whole way of going about this. You know, he understands the issues. He's trying to represent his people. And he's trying to make sure that the people of Bristol get the best deal. And, then, you know, I think that's fantastic. And I think, um, you know, with this statue, with it going in the harbour, it was it was just a beautiful moment, really, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, no. It's, I was watching, it and the, the the other thing about it is the 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 other sort of counter to it is saying, oh, you know, you're erasing our history. Well, I mean, <laughs> the, the, the thing is, like, um, at the end of the day, the statue um, was um, a, 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 an artistic work. I will say, not a work of art, because that sounds like sounds like I'm praising it, but it was an artistic work. Someone. Someone had to create that thing, and it represented something um, in the same way that um, uh, a poster lionizing Adolf Hitler might be might be considered art after a fashion. But what it that doesn't make necessarily make what it represents good, but it does represent something. Um, that statue, by being chucked in the harbor, has now fulfilled its artistic purpose. Uh, because it is now symbolic of this institution of slavery mixed with capitalism, which has literally been taken off its pedestal and thrown in the sea. That is 
a fantastic moment. It has been recorded. It's been videoed. It has been memorialized. It's now been written about. It is in and of itself a work of art, that act, um, as well as an act of history. It's not like, you know, the... Um, it's an it's analogous. I'm surprised other people have mentioned it to the Boston Tea Party. You know, another incident where people people chuck something in the sea to make a point. It will always be remembered, um, and it has so much more value for having happened than that statue on in and of itself ever did. Well, it it's what happened to a large percentage of black slaves that made their journey across oh, the Atlantic. Oh yes, that too, of um, course. They would have been thrown off the the, the dead. Also, actually, the, the nearly died um, would would be would be thrown off the ships into the ocean ceremoniously. And um, so, actually, I think it's a very fitting end for the statue of the slaver. Um, and 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 the fact, I mean, the the argument wears really thin. This idea that it's erasing history. You learn history from statues. You you, you learn history from history books, from school, from museums. Uh, these days online, you don't need a statue of a slaver placed in a prominent part of a major city to to teach you history. Um, we don't have any statues of Hitler in, in the UK, but everyone knows who Hitler is and what he did and, and intimately knows history. So this idea that we're, we're losing something or we're, we're forgetting some sort of important lesson from history because we've thrown a few racist statues in, in, in the harbour is just ridiculous. Um it, 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 I just don't. I don't even understand how people can use that as an argument. It's just a ridiculous argument to start with. Mm. And, and um, incidentally, I the um, St- St- Keir Starmer made a bit of a, a wet, um, <laughs> wet um, <laughs> sort of uh, you know explanation as to why he didn't condone uh, the statue being torn down in that way. Um, and as I said, I said before, maybe legally he kind of has to say that as a, as a politician. Um, but there's been a suggestion as well that people, that the government's threatening to prosecute these people implicitly. Pretty Patel was was pretty aggressive about it in the Commons. Um, the, these these thugs, she called them, in in not at all racialized tones. Um, and uh, but I can't see these people being prosecuted. The, the the fact is that you know the police officer who is in charge on the ground um, actually made a very sensible decision not to intervene. Um, why? Because a statue is not a living person. It's not even a business. You know, um, you know, people have been criticised for looting and the riots in, in in the United States. If you smash up a business, you are you are going to hurt people. To be fair, because people are going to potentially lose their livelihoods, um, you know, people will lose their employment and things like that. You are directly uh, impacting on people. Statues not a living living thing. Pulling it down is not actually going to materially damage anyone. Uh, in fact, if anything, it might create. Um, if a statue gets put up to replace it, there's a suggestion that um, it might be replaced with a, a statue of Paul, uh, uh, Paul Stevenson, who led the Bristol boycott in the in the 1960s. That would be fantastic, by the way, because obviously that was an act of homegrown um, anti-racist campaigning that was very successful, um, that we should remember and lionise. That would be fantastic if his statue replaced, uh, replaced Edward Coulson's. Um, but you know, the, the police officer on the ground decided I'm not going to put, basically, I'm not going to put my officers 
at risk by trying to defend this statue, you know, from people who want to tear it down. The the risk to public safety is so much higher all of a sudden, both to his officers and to the public. And how also, how bad would it look, right, if a protest about um, police brutality or, you know, basically white brutality against black people if uh, and the statue of a slaver who enslaved black people was being defended by white, a ring of white police officers. Can you imagine how awful that would look? So he obviously, he, clearly he made the right decision uh, on, on that scale. Um, and the question of people being prosecuted for it, well, again, what's in the what's in the public interest? Would it really be in the public interest? You know, they haven't they haven't harmed anyone. Um, and also, you know, if you're the judge presiding in that case, would you really want to go down as the guy who did that? You know, who sent people down for pulling down this statue in this historic moment? You would go down as one of the great villains of history. You know, I don't think people will want to do that. So I, I really can't see any prosecutions uh, happening that said if there is an attempt to do that we will put a, a link in the description of this video for the the crowdsourced uh, fund uh, for yeah. their defense i know i know a lawyer has already offered to defend them pro bono if they get taken to court mm. so that's that's always good that there's already people standing up for it and looking to defend them much to the fury of the right wingers commenting on that twitter feed saying shame on you you know this that and the other but you know good on them and we we will support them all the way yeah yeah 100 yeah I, I think that i think what happened on sunday is absolutely something to be celebrated it's a real we we can we can actually be proud uh, as as british people i think that that was done you know, in, in our country, and you know, Bristolians as well that I know have expressed equal pride about the city. Um, so yeah, un- unambiguously, a good thing, and not and certainly not a crime. It may be a crime on paper, but not morally. Do we do we have any uh, slaver statues in Lincoln? Not so far. I don't think we have many statues per se in Lincoln. Can you think of any? There's, there's Alfred Tennyson. Uh, I don't think he owned any slaves. Um, no. uh, I mean, you may you may have uh, 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 a view, differing views on his poetry, whether it's a crime against humanity or not. <laughs> um, I actually don't have any opinion on Alfred Tennyson, by the way. Um, but, um, but yeah, no, I can't. I can't actually think of any statue uh, statues in notable places in Lincoln. Maybe. Mm. Some of these these imp statues that look like he's got his willy out. Maybe. <laughs> took, took, took some of them in the Brayford, but yeah. Oh, that would be a, a, an act of history, I guess. Um, an act of prudishness. I mean, the the only thing I can think of in terms of statues in 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 Lincoln that have been vandalised in the past is actually if you look at um, the facade of the cathedral, um, just above the entrance, there's there's a row of uh, kings. Um, who sort of stand guard over the entrance to the cathedral. But if you look very closely at them, you'll find they actually have slightly strangely shaped bodies. And, and the reason for that is that they were originally women. Um, 
they 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 were they were figures of 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 maids standing over the entrance which at some point i think it might have been in cromwell's era someone might want to fact check that um but at some point someone came along and smashed all of their heads in um and then a few years after that they were replaced with the heads of kings so um that's that's a, a little bit of uh historical vandalism which has shaped our, our, our city in the past nothing really to do with what we're talking about but it just reminded me of that from, from local history book yeah there. yeah drink drink every time Callum makes a comment about local history uh drink, <laughs> drink every time Bradley says it's neoliberalism's fault um <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. So, yeah. so you can't drink for any cliches because I don't have any. <laughs> it, drink every time Callum Roper talks about training. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so, so is that it? Uh, we've got, um, uh, as I say, there's. Uh, we may be in the midst of a revolutionary period. Who the who the hell knows? Um, uh, we'll keep continue to keep tabs on it, uh, of course. Um, uh, I think we'll. Uh, We'll we'll end it there, shall we? Yeah. Sure Anything thing. else yeah. you want to uh, to raise? Um, so uh, we will. I know it's been a while since we last published one because of some technical difficulties. We'll try to be back uh, next week. Um, but for now, it's uh, goodbye from me, and it's goodbye from Callum. Goodbye, everyone. Stay safe as always. And Bradley also. Yeah, bye folks, thanks for listening. See you next time.